0: ladies and gentlemen welcome back to that's and weird tonight we are talking about the golden fleet and the person that's going to be heading this up is none other than
1: clark hello i'm one of your hosts clark do you, you guys yeah. want to introduce yourselves <laughs> well i'm seth
2: i'm megan
3: and i'm grindhouse zombie
4: and from there i'll take it so Uh, The Golden Fleet, not to be confused with the Swedish Golden Fleet, which is an actual name for a branch of their navy from around the same time period, Uh, but this is the Spanish Golden Fleet. And the very first thing I want to point out is that this is somewhat of a misnomer because the Spanish actually never referred to this as the Golden Fleet. This is actually something that's been more of a recent moniker, I guess, that's been uh, bestowed upon it. Um, It sounds sexier because... Spanish actually called it the Silver Fleet. And I guess silver doesn't sound as enticing as gold. So uh, people have chosen to rename it here recently to make it sound more fun for treasure hunters, I guess. But in a nutshell, sum it up of what the Golden Fleet actually was. And this is um, a rather unusually large flotilla of ships that were kind of in a last ditch to be sent back to Spain to help fund their uh, kind of ongoing Uh, feud with the British during this time. Um, Now, Spain had been shipping silver, gold, uh, jewels, rare, I mean, emeralds, pearls, everything basically they could find since they consolidated their uh, holdings in Central and South America, basically from the mid-1500s all the way until the mid to late 1700s. Now... These ships usually would go in little small flotillas. They'd be protected, obviously, from by you know from pirates and things like that by some kind of galleon, and they're usually led by someone with military experience on a on basically a uh, a flagship. Um, this particular fleet is unique, though, in that, it, like I said, it was unusually large. There were twelve ships uh, that went back to Spain during this time, and because it was very heavy laden with uh, treasure. Basically, to like I said, help fund this uh, ongoing—I won't call it a war, but basically a off-and-on, continuous feud that was going on between the French, the Spanish, and the English, and the Dutch thrown in there just for good measure because I don't know—they always want to be involved. Uh, so, first off, to get uh, get into some background, the the order for this treasure was actually put in in 1712. And it took them three years of mining, minting, all this kind of stuff to kind of get it together. It was uh, supposed to go off earlier in the year, but didn't actually end up leaving until uh, early May, I believe. It was supposed to leave in April, and it did not leave actually until—actually, uh, I to take that back. It did not leave until mid-July. Um, this is actually two separate fleets. There's one coming out of Cartagena in Colombia, which is modern-day Colombia, and the other one was coming from uh, Veracruz. So the actual names of these fleets uh, were called the West Indies Flotilla, which was the one coming out of Veracruz. And like I said, they'd been doing this for almost 200 years at this point. And then the uh, one coming out of Cartagena was uh, called, I believe it's the uh, Tierra Firma uh, fleet. And the intent on this was to meet up when they left, meet up in Havana and then sail together in one big fleet back to Spain for you know, navigation purposes and protection. They figured if they stuck together, they'd be best. Now, 11 of these ships were Spanish, and oddly enough, the 12th ship wasn't even supposed to be part of the fleet. It was in Havana already. It was a French ship called the Griffin. And because of seasonal laws that they had for foreign ships in Spanish ports. They basically told the captain of this French ship, you can sail back with the fleet or you got to wait until they're back in Spain and then you can go. They basically were going to shut them down and keep them in port unless they went back with this fleet. So the French captain said, okay, why not? I'm going, uh..." and actually I believe the captain was still Spanish, but it was a French ship that he was actually, um, they were hired to kind of uh, outsource, I guess you could say, to move some of this treasure back to Spain. Um, So... He said, you know, sure, I'll go. So it's July 1715. They head out and they're sticking to the Florida coast best they can, because when you're navigating in the 18th century, being able to see coast is a, is a helpful beacon. So they're on the way back and the French ship did not feel comfortable being that close to uh, close to land because he was unfamiliar with the waters. So the captain actually stayed offshore farther. And this ended up helping him because they run smack into a hurricane on the night of July 31st, uh, early into the morning of August 1st. Um, They will run smack into a hurricane right off of the Florida coast and um, 11 of the ships are sunk. The 12th ship, the Griffin, oddly enough, like I said, the only French ship in the fleet is the only one that actually made it back to Spain. So... You have to keep the numbers here in mind, and I'll keep reminding the listeners about this. So 11 went down in this hurricane. Uh, 12th one made it back. Now, obviously, immediately, Spain wanted their treasure. Uh, they're not just going to let billions of dollars in you know, gold and silver and jewels just hit the bottom <laughs> of the ocean here. So they send a salvage team um, to recollect as much of this as they can. Uh, and this is within almost immediately, as as soon as they can get them there, they send a salvage team. And there's actually a historical marker um, in Sebastian, Florida, where you can see where the actual original camp was set up uh, for the salvagers. Uh, Spain will eventually give up the search in 1718, claiming that they recovered 80% of the treasure. Uh, This is largely considered to be a lie, seeing as what we know now. uh, But they probably said that they recovered 80% of the treasure just to keep other salvagers and pirates at bay, basically. They don't want anyone going after their stuff. Um, The Spanish government will continually claim that this is theirs, even through today. Uh, We'll get to the legal stuff later, though. Uh, So this kind of dies down for a long time, and everyone just kind of forgets about it, until 1950, when a map shows up uh, detailing from the time of where these uh, ships were thought to be wrecked. Uh, and this starts getting, you know, peaking a lot of interest in people that are kind of down there in Florida hanging out. And um, specifically a group that will become, uh, they their first name is uh, Treasure Salvers Inc. What they'll come together as uh, they change names and then end up selling the salvage rights eventually to another business. Uh, but this is a trio of guys who are pretty much one was an engineer, one was a historian, and the other one was a farmer turned retired scuba diver. Uh, and that becomes important because this is the 1950s and nobody really was into scuba diving at the time. So they had an advantage at having a very experienced diver with them and someone who could actually you know navigate these waters and find these wrecks for them uh, the engineer will come into play because they literally have to invent technology on the spot for clearing sand off of the floor um, or finding metal under the water like they basically created their own new metal detectors and things like that that would operate at the under the water now I also have to specify that a lot of these wrecks, end up being found not too far off of barrier islands um the town sebastian florida is kind of where they call the they call it now the treasure coast and it's about a 40 mile stretch um where the ships that are have been found uh are pretty much located where we can see where they're at and about a 40 mile stretch from north to south so 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 clark
3: um, if if we teach seth to scuba dive the three of us have pretty much got this is what you're telling me
4: Oh, yeah, 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 we'll get, yeah, we'll get the, there's still treasure down there, and there's stuff to okay. be found. All so, right, Seth, get, uh, get
3: your flippers, we're going. <laughs> we're
4: <not> <laughs> yes, it would, I would like to retire <laughs> now. So, <laughs> uh, so these guys, this trio, they get together, um, and they, uh, you know, get the necessary personnel and equipment and everything together, and they go out, and um, they end up finding six of these ships between, I believe it's 1960 and 1991, they locate six of these ships, um, and they find other ships too that weren't part of this, um, this the Golden Fleet. Uh, I specifically want to mention this one because, like I said, they—it's so fascinating how many of them they've connected and, and know that it's specifically from this fleet. But this uh, trio of you know owners and entrepreneurs will actually go on to find a lot of other um, shipwrecks also there because you know, Spain lost a lot of ships. It's almost amazing. Like you got to think about how much they were pulling out of the ground and minting, and how like how many billions, billions of dollars, like in jewels and stuff. This is because they lost so much of it, um, and we're still finding it today. And it's it's just incredible to think that they got anything back at all. Uh, but going back, they um they end up identifying six of these ships right off the bat in like a thirty year span, and um, I mean they're living it up. These guys, like I said, you know multi-millionaires to billionaires now at this point and uh, from everything they found. Um, so much so that, like I said, they end up selling the treasure rights in 1993 when they're all getting older and kind of out of the adventuring side of it. They they partied really hard, too. There's a lot of uh, photographic evidence of them celebrating their finds, um, and it's, it's pretty interesting. I encourage you to look it up. They definitely knew how to party. Um, so six of the ships have been identified into this new business, takes over the salvage rights and they end up discovering up through uh, and this is up through twenty like twelve, they found three more ships. Um no, I take that back. Two more. Sorry. Two more ships. So two more have been located, which leaves us with three missing ships still from the fleet that have not been found that are somewhere off the coast of Florida in less than twenty feet of water in some places. Um these barrier islands you can literally walk on with a metal detector and people are just pulling up gold. Uh just finding it washed up. Um, there are other rumors that hurricanes over the years have blown a lot of the debris inland, and now it's in the swamps and the marshes. Um, people actually go magnet fishing and things like that and find all kinds of you know iron conglomerates and stuff with gold coins in them, uh, basically remnants of whatever wreckage from the ship. So they, they found a lot of stuff uh, inland too, which is fascinating. Um, but the... The I mean story stands that over a thousand, a thousand to fifteen hundred sailors died uh, during this storm that wrecked this entire fleet, and we are left with three missing ships that no one knows where they are. But there are theories, possibly. Uh, but yes, at this point, do you have any questions on what was on these ships or anything like that?
0: How did like originally Spain like what was their how would they. What was the technology they used to try to recover it? Because I'm I'm having trouble picturing what they used. Well, like I said, a lot of this,
4: a lot of these wrecks are are pretty much anywhere from ten feet. Of, I mean, some of them are only in ten feet of water. Uh, oh. So at this, okay, at this time, okay. some of the mass would have still been visible. Um, you know, diving bells, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, that's still standard for the time. So that's not out of the realm of possibility that they could get in ten feet of water and recover a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Okay.
3: Well, so what is the what is the treasure? I mean, if they're coming from South America, I'm assuming a lot of it's silver. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, a lot of it. The stuff um, that was coming out of the uh, West Indies flotilla was, um, or I take that back. The Tierra Firma uh, uh, fleet was actually silver mined in Peru, moved up to Colombia to Cartagena, and then put on ships and sent back. So a lot of silver ingots, a lot of uh, pieces of eight, real silver pieces of eight. a lot of gold bullion, and then pearls, emeralds, um, pretty much a lot. Like they, they find a lot of precious metals and then gems down there, and that's what most of it is. Uh, and this was all just in trade for textiles and things coming back from Spain. Okay, interesting. Yeah,
3: because I know that when it came to <clears throat> call it the shipwrecks and people that were searching, if they were looking for ships that had ingots versus say ore often the ingots were more valuable because the processing had already been done
4: yes yes and most of these are stamped um specifically with this fleet most of the gold that's been recovered um that are actually doubloons are stamped 1712 i mean they are literally like they were minted stamped and everything specifically for this fleet to get sent back so that's how it's very easy to identify them actually still too uh, much like the silver ingots and the pieces of eight, you'll see, um, you know, they've got the year, they've got some of them, they actually have where they were mined and everything, and it's got the actual Tierra firma stamps on it and everything with the Spanish crown and all, like it's, they're incredibly well detailed. I put, uh, and I will drop them in the stuff across the internet well, but I had sent you guys pictures of some yes. that I have actually in safe deposit boxes here, and I'll have to move those over when I get a second, but... Um, but you can tell from those pictures I sent you. And also, you see the jewelry. I sent the crosses and things like that that were on there. Um, among other things, I have one particular one. I could not find it in, in time for the podcast. But, oops, my screen's going crazy. Uh, but I told you one of my favorite things that I have from um, the shipwrecks is a silver... It's it's like a Catholic knot. It's a very ornate looking silver knot. And then it has a hook on one end and like a uh, a straight, I don't know what you want to call it, kind of a a bulb end on the other. And I bought the thing specifically because the jeweler, like uh, it was actually this Treasure Salvers Inc. company um, who I got it from. The uh, You can actually go to the museum. They have their own museum down in Sebastian, Florida now too that you can actually visit and see a lot of this stuff um and a lot of the equipment they used actually to pull it up. It's actually fascinating. Um, but when the guy was holding it and he was showing me, he's like, do you know what this is? And I was like, no, it obviously has a link on it. Like it had to go on a chain. And he's like, yeah, it was worn around the neck. Uh, but do you know what it was for? And I was like, no, I haven't a clue. And they said, this side is a toothpick and this side is a Q-tip. And it was just a personal hygiene uh <laughs> tool that they would literally wear around their neck and uh and it's like said this very ornate like catholic knot in between holding the two pieces together um if i can find it i will also put that and stuff across the internet but there's a lot of you know interesting stuff that's got a personality to it as well and not just money but like you can tell you know you got to remember there's a lot of people that died you know transporting this stuff
2: that sounds really cool i want to see that i was hoping (laughs) that this was near a St. Augustine, Florida, because I really want to go check out the Spanish fort there, but it's not part of the Treasure Coast, it seems.
4: It's not, it's farther north, but it is um, It is where the surviving sailors uh, actually went to um, because they didn't have anywhere to go. Actually, some of these guys that survived had to actually trek, like I forget how many miles north to get to civilization and actually report, hey, the whole fleet just went down, because there was obviously no news. There was no, yeah. <laughs> no one was catching a text or an email
2: yeah that sounds brutal
4: yeah yeah these guys went through a lot it it would literally have to be
0: like the next ship going back to send word like whatever
4: shipping lanes or whatever um or would have been the the french ship the griffin once it landed in spain and realized that there were no other ships that survived it they would have to be the ones to break the news probably but that would have been you know obviously days that you know the 17th century crossing the atlantic it probably took them close to a month man
0: if i was like the king of spain i would be like did they just book it with all my gold
4: do they is this just a story Are they live in it up in the new world but what would you spend it on at that point there's nothing i mean you'd have to go back to a spanish-owned port for it to be worth anything melt like it yeah i
0: mean i guess you could. so you're that. saying back then they wouldn't have accepted s- certain stamps
4: like they would have known yeah, well, I mean, think of it this way. If you had it's a 1715, so like you're you know, if they're leaving Havana, which is a Spanish-owned port, where would you take it to spend it if you wanted to steal all that? I mean, you could go to a British port, but then would they accept it or would they just seize it as oh, your Spanish, you know, dignitaries basically, your representatives of so the Spanish government's ally. Okay, there's allies things going yeah. on. Okay. Uh, the French mm-hmm. would rat you out because they were allied with the Spanish. Uh, you know, the English would just seize the ships for themselves. Cause it'd be, they'd be like, well, we're in open hostilities with Spain. So they would just take them, you know, y- you could go to, you could go to any kind of maybe pirate enclaves, but this is the very end of the golden age of piracy. I mean, the golden age of piracy is pretty much over in 1718 with the death of Blackbeard. And, you know, they really are cracking down on pirates at this time. So, uh, you know Tortuga, places like that, but Port Royal is underwater at this point. It's been destroyed by an earthquake, so you can't go to a lot of these famous pirate havens. Interesting. I wonder if
0: people uh, scuba dive around there.
1: Uh, I, I would, mean, I
0: would scuba dive at a pirate's cove.
4: Yeah, yeah. There's um, I, yeah, in Port Royal, I know a lot of people have recovered stuff from there because <laughs> about eighty percent of that city, like I said, fell off into the water when an earthquake hit it. Um, so that's, that's one of my, um, if we ever do movie theories and, uh, things that bother you about movies and historical accuracy, that's one that always gets me about Pirates of the Caribbean is that it starts off in, uh, in Port Royal, Jamaica. And by the time you get to On Stranger Tides, uh, Blackbeard has already been killed and is yet mysteriously, you know, alive, not spoiling any plots here. So that would mean that Jack Sparrow would have to be, uh, basically, Immortal because <laughs> he'd be so old and the life expectancy wouldn't be like 40 something years old during this time uh, for someone in the Caribbean. So it, you just, I don't mean, it, it always bothers me that I'm like, okay, it has to be 1692 in the first movie if they're in Port Royal. But at the same time, it has to be at least 1718 by the fourth movie because Blackbeard has already been quote unquote killed. Okay. I, okay. So I remember. I don't know if this is actually,
0: it. you would know this. Uh, For a uh, senior trip, I stayed in Costa Rica. There was this boat that took us to this island. Uh, And and from what I saw, there were like several little islands. But the one we went to was a particular one. It had a lot of really cool uh, sandbars. And there was like some rock outcropping, like kind of like, I don't remember a cave. But it would look, that's the kind of island it was. Um, and there was a pig there that loved to be buried in the sand, and he was just like the pet like hog there, and and you go and get drinks. And anyway, on the way to that island, the guides were pointing at another island that said that that is Tortuga that they filmed Pirates of the Caribbean in. Now, I don't know if that was actually Tortuga. I'm just saying that they, they said that that was the island that they shot some of those scenes on or something like that, but I don't know if that's actually tortuga is actually near Costa rica
4: i always thought the the real quote-unquote tortuga was still in the caribbean um okay one of the chains like near the bahamas and stuff like that from what i always knew uh but i mean a lot of ships did like say go down that way because that's where they were you know cartagena and Colombia. that's where they were basically leaving from is not far from there okay
2: i think it's part of the caribbean because I can't say for sure. I went on a cruise when I was 17 and they sold tortuga rum cake. And went to the bomb.
0: Wait, <laughs> so wait. was that? That was
2: 2008.
0: Oh, the prime time for pirates movies. I was getting that getting those movie, movie. I just
2: I just want to say I was obsessed with Johnny Depp like in middle school as Edward or like sorry. I was obsessed with Ezra Scissorhands, but I was obsessed with him in Sleepy Hollow and everybody thought he was ugly and then the Pirates movie came out in 2003 and everybody's like, oh my gosh, Johnny Depp's so hot. And I'm like, no, you can't do that.
0: So vindication.
2: Yeah. Just right. because he put on a co- Pirates costume, you can't, no, no.
0: So we're we're can't getting way too into Pirates of the Caribbean. Apologies. But those are awesome movies. Just saying.
4: All right. Any questions now moving forward before we start talking Just about some treasure? About
2: Tortuga is an island in Haiti. Oh,
4: okay. Oh, there you
1: go. So, yes, yeah, still we got back checked. <laughs> I'll be the fact check- checker.
4: So, one of the things I find fascinating too is uh, they they have the ships. They've actually been able to identify each one that they have found. Um I've not ever found let's see if they have the names of the ships that have not been found yet um but i just did find this kind of fascinating when you think about this because two of these ships um like i said well one that was in the fleet was a french ship already but one of the other ships that was the actual um it was the uh what you call the uh, the captain i guess the uh the, the whoever was basically overseeing the security for the the flotilla um his flagship actually was um the, called Nuestra Señora del Carmen in San Antonio. But it was actually a former British warship called the HMS Hampton Court that the British sold to the Spanish um, after it was retired in 1678. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. They had this big 70-ton or 70-gun uh, ship that probably weighed about 450 tons, which also blows my mind that these, you know, we talk about you know, warships today being like 80,000 to 100,000 tons, and this is just a 400-ton galleon. But it was a basically a third-rate ship of the line for this time. So it was actually pretty, you know, it was outdated a little bit, but it's still a powerful ship. Um, but they found that one. Uh, I don't want to just butcher all of these names, but um, the history on some of these ships and how they got just purposed, like or repurposed in some cases, for uh, for these flotillas is is just, I know, find it fascinating. They also... Uh I like how they use this hurricane. Um one of my favorite video games ever, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. Um yeah. that's actually the opening of that video game is set in that uh hurricane. So they basically retconned history, which is what Assassin's Creed does anyway. Um, yeah. But that the Jackdaw is supposed to be the missing ship from the flotilla, but it actually wasn't uh-huh. the French ship that made it back to Spain. It's that uh, that Edward Kenway steals it and renames it the Jackdaw. And okay. that's actually the 12th missing ship. That's actually the retconned history. Uh, that's, I'm so glad
0: you said that. That is such a good game in that series. That's one of my it favorites.
4: And there's a lot of other like pop culture um, mentions of it, and then the show Black Sails that's been you know huge here recently. Uh, it brings it out. It says actually they have an entire season kind of revolves around the 1715 treasure fleet uh, in the first season, and then also the movie Fools Gold that had um, I think that's Matthew McConaughey. So or was that the Paul Walker oh, yeah. one? Yeah, that was like it diet is. national treasure. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey, um, yeah. Kate Hudson. That's actually, <laughs> actually what they're diving for in that uh, in that movie. Is actually what they're looking for is is ship, the missing ships from 1715 oh, okay. fleet. So there's some little pop culture references.
1: They needed Nicholas so, in that movie. Yeah, yeah, he would have found it.
0: <laughs> um going to steal the Declaration of Independence.
1: He he did. Very, very astutely with his super brain. <laughs> super
0: brain. Still holding out for the third movie,
4: but who knows? Anyway, I would have been down for a third movie. Yeah, they're fun. They're 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 fun. Good. Have you ever seen the Librarian movies? Ooh no! They're like a, they're kind of like a mix. Like it's kind of part Indiana Jones, part National Treasure, but they're very feel good, fun movies. They're a lot of comedy, a lot of like lighthearted because you're. Because the main character is is like super smart but he's like not used to like gunfire and stuff coming his way yeah. so he always has to have like it's 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 i would just encourage you to check them out they were like tnt uh, made for tv will. movies but they're very yeah. very good uh they're all okay. fun the third one especially is really fun um so about the three missing ships here's some of the uh i guess theories or possibilities of what happened to them so pretty much everyone's in agreement that they sank they probably were lost uh just like the other ships were one of the prevailing theories is they made a run for it north trying to get out of the storm so they might be far like they're thinking almost as far up as savannah uh so to the obviously florida georgia border there um they're thinking they might be as far as far north as Savannah, actually, so somewhere off the coast there. Uh, that would be fascinating. I wouldn't mind taking a swing at that. Um, other theories are, like I mentioned earlier, that they the debris has just been blown inland, and now it's actually in the marshes and swamps uh, behind the barrier islands, and not out in front of them like the six uh, original found ships were. Um, the two that were found afterward were found farther north than the original six ships but they're thinking that's just the line they fell in basically as they sank and trying to run from the storm so it doesn't necessarily confirm or you know uh, debunk that the last two ships are or the last three ships are as far north as georgia okay now, do I have a personal theory on it? I think, yeah, they're just farther north and they might be in deeper water and that's probably where they are. Um, how they have not been found in the last you know, 60 years since people started getting interested in this again, I don't know. Um, we have a lot more information on this now because uh, the original documents of the names of all the ships and what they were carrying has been released. Um, the Cuban government actually had those records and... Uh, you know, we haven't had particularly the best friendship with them over the last 60 years. So it's only been very recently that they've opened up and let us like see those documents and see like the actual original manifests with uh, everything that was on the ships and the names of them. So that's a thing that I found interesting that we're now able to really pinpoint and identify which ship is which. So uh, having said that, do you guys want to take a swing at it? I'm I'm willing to go down to Florida.
3: <laughs> no, I'm I can
2: there. Stop at St. Augustine. I want to go.
4: Yeah, I mean, we'll pretty much. If if it, if if you're driving, you'll pass it anyway. So you might as well. All right, there we go.
0: I mean, look, if you're literally asking me, I mean, I would. I don't know what it takes to get it scuba, but I I would do
1: it. I've it got two we... five friends. I'll ask them how long it took them. Okay. Hmm.
0: And what are we talking in terms of, like, boat rental cost? I'm a budgeter at heart. I'll I,
1: look I, into all that first. Okay, cool. <laughs> we're gonna.
4: <laughs> I have a feeling we're gonna be very primitive in this uh, um, initial search. I just put, find something. Uh, I saran wrap my
0: my uh, metal detector. It's waterproof yeah. enough. Ooh, Flex Seal. I'll saran wrap it, then dip it in Flex Seal. There we go. There you go. Not be able to I'm operate sure you it at all. get some
2: Flex tape in case we get a crack in the boat.
0: Yeah, S- S- we'll get one of those screen door boats. It'll be real cheap.
2: <laughs> I also want to go to Savannah, so we can check that out too.
4: That's on the way too. Like that if you go down ninety-five, once you hit that, I mean, you're going to go through Savannah, Jacksonville, St. Augustine's. Kind of a, a dip Island. out of the way. Hey, at yeah. some
0: point we've got to do this that's up and weird live on the road thing. Oh, yeah. And It's gotta happen at some point. So well,
4: if we go to St. Augustine, we can we can do a that's up and weird live from the Ripley's believer. <laughs> we'll finally have a budget for advertising if we find some gold.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> All right. So other than theories on where this might be, um, I did want to bring up one thing that I find I find fascinating, and that's the legal battle. Um, as soon as these ships started being found, the Spanish government actually started claiming um, mm. that it was theirs and tried to actually take these salvagers to court and tried, basically tried to bleed them dry in court. Um, I don't know how, how it was going to work too well if they were literally pulling up billions of dollars worth of stuff. <laughs> they probably eventually were able to uh, outlast the Spanish courts. Um, and maritime law did finally, I guess, over, overturn that. Mm. Uh, but... The Spanish government has tried time and time again, basically anytime one of these ships is found, they claim it as still being their property.
2: Why didn't they try like to get it sooner, like the Spanish government?
4: Well, like said, I said, they they gave up in three years, so that salvage their initial salvage um, endeavor started so, basically right when they heard about the wreck, and then they gave up on it in seventeen eighteen. So the ships had only been sunk for three years before the Spanish gave up. I don't know if that's just because logistically they couldn't bring anything else up like we talked about earlier, they didn't have the technology um or if it was just not worth it anymore um, or or really just you know, it was easier for them to say, write it off and we lost it and tell people that they brought it back anyway, just so no one else will go looking for it. okay
0: so what question who who's in char- charge of maritime law is it a consortium of governments is it
4: uh generally yeah because you know obviously maritime law is governed by international okay uh, laws i don't know i don't know if it falls under a specific uh like agreement like if it's a u.n agreement thing because if that were the case then there's certain countries that aren't part of the u.n that technically wouldn't have a say in it or Uh, or could you know what i mean i guess it's like one of those things if you don't want to play ball then you don't have a voice in it kind of thing
3: what's the distance what's the distance off the coast again is it 12 miles or 14 miles something like that
4: not even that like these barrier islands are very close to shore and um they like i said these wrecks are sometimes in as little as 10 feet of water uh so this is like not i mean you could walk out off the sandbar And pretty much start swimming, but they're, they're basically in these inlets between all these, um, barrier islands. So they're, I mean, they're not far from actual coastline,
3: but isn't there a distance that off of your coast, that whatever falls within that distance is effectively yours. Yeah. Yes. Um,
4: I thought it was 12 miles. I thought it was 12 miles. I don't know what the, like what legal leg they have to stand on to claim that that's their property still. Uh, okay. but that would be something that would be worth looking into probably just, uh, I would be curious what their argument was other than just saying that's our property. It has a seal that says, you know, which is also funny cause that's the, you know, that government is not still the same government. So mm. that's like a, you know, this, I mean, that's like a grandson claiming you know, someone finds their grandfather's, whatever his, his cigarette box full of money or a cigar box mm-hmm. full of money or whatever he buried in his backyard and then sold the house. And then the new owners find it 70 years later. And the grandson wants to say that's his money. Cause it was his grandfather's, you know, that's what it seems like to me. It's like, you're, you're making a stretch there. It's like, you don't own the house. You don't, you know, you don't have anything other than like a picture of your grandfather burying the money in his backyard. So I, you know, what, <laughs> what right do you have to it?
2: What do you think is the right thing to do? Do you think it should be given back to the Spanish government? Uh, or?
4: I don't personally, since they're, since I don't think, one, it's not the same representative government. And two, uh, it's, I mean, there's got to be a statute of limitations on anything. I mean, you can't just wait until someone finds something 300 years later and then claim it's yours.
2: Yeah, it's like these treasure hunters did all the dirty work for the Spanish government. And they're just like, oh, hey. Yeah. they're
4: like oh yeah yeah, i left that there sorry can (laughs) you give it back um
2: also like do you think that anybody who finds the treasure should be able to keep it or do you think it belongs into like in a museum or
4: well and that's kind of a, a fun thing too so how they had to fund all this was they had a lot of investors so to bring this company together they they had to have investors anyway and Actually, I told—I uh, believe I told the guys this when we were talking about um, this topic when I first proposed it. But my father went to one of these meetings where they were looking for investors to, you know, uh, and this was like in the early '70s, and um, like at the time, it was only like a thousand-dollar like investment and uh my dad just didn't have the money he could spend at the time he really wanted to do it and uh, he had just gotten married to my mom and she was like no don't spend all that money you know a thousand dollars in 1970 that's a lot so um he just didn't chose not to do it didn't have the you know i guess ability to do it at the time and you know he always tells me now like he's like oh they're still pulling stuff up off those ships like he'd be (laughs) he'd be a multimillionaire now and retire you know could have retired years and years ago so it's one of those things where it's like hindsight sucks Um, but basically back to the initial question, uh, they have kind of done their philanthropy on the side. So not only did they pay back their investors and all that stuff, and then they were able to basically fund all of their treasure hunting expeditions forever after that. And then none of them were going to have a real job ever again. Um, but they also have opened up museums, um, and other exhibits and things like that to the public. So I guess that's their, olive branch of hey yeah we're super rich now from finding this stuff but they also want to share the history part of it so, so instead yeah. of donating anything to a museum they actually just opened up their own museum essentially
1: hmm. okay
4: that honestly is almost the entire story as far as uh, any other details or something i can think of that you guys have a specific question i can i can mention but that's basically where we're at now is that there's still three missing ships out there uh that's a lot of money (laughs) a lot of jewels and stuff um i encourage you to like just look up the 1715 spanish fleet um and and look at images just google image it and see like some of the fascinating things they pulled off these boats Uh, i mean it really ornate stuff like i said. there's a guy that's down there that has a five hundred thousand dollar uh ring it's uh twenty four karat uh as, he called it aztec gold' it's, it's gold from uh Central America and then it's inlaid with South American emeralds it has i think i believe twenty two emeralds and like wow set in it <clears throat> and he holds this ring he says like just the total value of the gold and the emeralds is about a half a million dollars and that one ring and it's i mean that just gives you a hint at how much stuff, I mean, and how much this stuff is worth now too. Like, it's it's just crazy to think of like one little ring like that is half a million dollars. And this thing was, you know, 11 of these boats just packed to the gills with, you know, precious metals, uh, you know, already smelted and things like that already stamped, sealed, you know, set into rings and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's just fascinating.
0: Okay. So of all everything tallied up do we have we basically know how much value was sunk to to date what where's the percentage of fines versus loss or what's still out there
4: um well i've never heard like a total like between the eight ships that have been found what i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's got to be in the billions uh, of dollars okay. at this point,
0: so they um, don't have like a general idea of what what those ships m- most likely were carried in terms of bullion
4: and coins, whatever. They, um, yeah, their uh, estimates
1: like,
4: vaguely. Um, so they okay. can kind of tell you what one of like the silver ingots would you know would be by itself in value, and then you can kind of go from there and be like, well, they found eighty of them here. They found know 150 of them here on this ship or this and then go from there and i mean it starts adding up very quickly and that's not even to value like the minted coins and things like that Mm. and then and then a lot of these things like i said the jewelry and stuff you can only really put a price on the value of the metal itself and the and the actual uh gems but i mean like i said there's a there's a history and there's a personality value to that too i would imagine Mm. I mean, that's a craftsmanship that's no longer, you know, available. Like how they did that at the time is you know, probably far different than what we have in any kind of you know modern mm-hmm. uh, jewelers. And then, uh, and then, yeah, just like I said, there's a history behind it. Like someone wore that ring; it could have been one of the 1500 sailors that died. Uh, you know, you don't know. Man, that would be so good. That would be crazy to go look for that. It
0: would be crazy even just to just to get a small hall like not you know nothing nuts not asking much but you go in and you find like an ingot or two and a ring or maybe even just a coin that that's got to be satisfying oh yeah
2: finding like arrowhead
0: yeah yeah i i mean i love you guys know i like metal detecting so the idea of it it's like that when you finally find something where it's significant it that feeling is is hard to beat even if it's like not really you know a ton of value it's 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 like it was lost and and since then no 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 one's been interacting with it it's basically been like sealed off from
4: time it's it's just in general really cool yeah and that's that's also why i say there's like a personality value to it um and a historical value that can't really be priced because you know for instance that little toothpick you know, Q-tip combo thing mm-hmm. that someone wore around his neck. Like I have that in my possession now in 2024, and in 17, it, actually, this that one came off of a ship that sank in 1622. So that is a 402-year-old, uh, yeah, piece of jewelry that was that was practical. Like somebody he probably literally used it to pick his teeth or clear wow. earwax or something. Uh, and <laughs> and I'm holding, it, you know, I'm holding it in 2024.
2: Did you find any ancient earwax on
0: it?
4: It would be really interesting if they like if if I know it's been underwater for it was underwater for 300 plus years before it was found. But uh, it would be really interesting to think like they could find any kind of DNA on that. And yeah,
2: oh, dude, that'd be sick. Clone the sailor.
4: <laughs>
0: the oh, yeah, knows. um, I like I like certain types of finds that are uh the conditions are super right for preserving things like oddly
4: preserving them uh bog mummies whatever yeah and i think about that sometimes too is like the guy that was wearing that around his neck had to i mean he had to have at least enough status to like i don't know how common of a thing that was to own you know like a lot of sailors were broke uh so i you know i don't know if he was someone of any kind of importance or you know where he what he ranked on his ship you know So could be anything could be a navigator could have been the captain of a ship.
2: Yeah. I don't think like personal hygiene was like a thing for, wasn't really common amongst like poor folk, I guess.
4: Yeah. And being completely out of, made out of silver too. And like kind of so Mm -hmm. ornate and like that and having like a, a religious, um, you know, connection to it too. Like it's, it had to be somebody of some kind of status. Man.
0: Man, if yeah, uh, uh, one one find that I think is really cool in um Egypt, that meteorite dagger that was for one of the kings, like those super like one off uh, things that are made,
4: it reminds mm-hmm. me of that. Yeah, that was found in Tutankhamun's tomb, and yeah. also was the inspiration for George R. R. Martin um to do Dawn the Sword of Alstain. Uh, oh, yeah, because okay. it was forged from a meteorite. Yeah, that's. George R. R. Martin took a lot of inspiration from real history to throw into the uh, Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, so I always okay. found that fascinating. That's where he got that idea from.
1: Well, I wanna, I wanna
0: hunker down and watch The yeah. Librarian.
1: I'm, I'm in that yeah. mood
0: now.
4: See, history's fun, guys. It is. <laughs> it is. I yeah. like. I like. Uh,
0: bouncing off all the weird things i've heard for you to smack them down but some some things have stuck the whole hunting hiller episode was great there were there was like some things i was like really scared weren't true like the possibility but then you're like no they were they were they were definitely in south america
1: yeah
4: so yeah it's i do history has a way of being being disturbingly mundane and and ruining your ideas and theories and then at the same at the same time you can tell a story that is so wild and unbelievable that you couldn't put it into literature because no one would take it seriously
0: yeah can... yeah well i mean the, the 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 this bleeds in perfectly well um oak island's whole thing there, have you have you been keeping up with that because they, apparently they're finding more stuff and they're doing this new like drilling tunneling method to like put in so their objective i think this year is to get like a guy in one of those cavities and they believe they found one of the unflooded uh, shafts and um, the the stuff that they have been pulling out is impressive just the fact that there's ancient parchment with words on it down there is crazy Uh, the fact that those uh, silver guys we're estimating how much silver because they did those water samples in like the previous season. They're estimating how much silver in, in a given time and all of that would have to be down there for it to register as that parts per million. It's insane how, what's down there and the level of engineering of whoever hit it, which sounds very Knights Templar-ish to me. But um, that I, I feel like if there's a substantial discovery there, that would that would that would take the cake, like
4: in 2024, 2025 also in crazy history news um i just saw this about a week ago they are fairly confident say fairly because it's still stretched in my mind but it'd be awesome if it's true um that they may have located Genghis khan's tomb
0: what so, that's been wow, one of our, history's-
4: our, wow. our great great ancestor for most of
0: us <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: oh yeah we each have a little bit of him in us yeah because he was a man whore
0: basically mm. yeah. Sweet. He, he spread his he spread
4: his seed spread a seed did. good he had to he killed 10 percent of the world's population <laughs> so
3: tough. well and did Man. you guys see that uh for the osiris rex uh, mission they finally got the top off of the capsule and yeah yeah and i they heard that. the inside they, they they posted a really really nice high-res picture and it looks like a bunch of black rocks and dust. But I was, <laughs> I was still kind of excited that they were just, as an engineer, yeah. it was it was it was fun to watch people struggling with an engineering problem. We have two stuck bolts, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they had. I, they had I, I read that and I, I thought of you. I specifically thought of you.
3: Excellent. Yeah. Well, and they had to solve it within like a, with like in a a, a very safe and very. Um, Confined space where they couldn't just introduce new things because there was a a protocol in place. I thought that was kind of because like if it was me, I would have been in there with a cutting torch and a sledgehammer and just be like, let's get this bitch open. But mm-hmm. um, it it was fun to watch. It took them three months, three months to solve the problem of loosening up two stuck fasteners. So I don't know. Wow. For me, that was fun. That was fun.
0: Did did any of that kind of blow your mind? How they did it, or was it interesting to you how they finally solved it?
3: Oh definitely yeah just having to having to create new tools and have all these new tools certified to go into the environment I mean that's just I love their protocols because for what I do every day sometimes you have to solve problems on the fly and mm-hmm. when they solve when they solve problems it's okay here's the problem solved it's going to take us 4 weeks to be able to test it and that's yeah. just that's just so aggravating as somebody who wants to see forward progress that it's like oh yeah like just let's get to it but that's their protocols. Yeah. Uh,
0: I hope they found some fossils or something.
1: What
0: that? Or... Oh, it was the NASA was trying to get their rover vault thing that they collected rocks from on Mars. It was Mars, right? Oh.
3: <clears throat> no, it's it not Mars. Be... It was, it was, it was comet Bennu. That's what it was.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? Um, I forget which one it was. I think it was a Japanese, uh, asteroid that they landed on i saw the video which is basically like um stop motion because it it the shutter like mm-hmm. triggers every few seconds or whatever anyway it was crazy seeing like something land on a body of that low g in that manner it was extremely alien it was like a weird fever dream watching that for me what was that?
3: When it yeah, yeah, it's fun to watch. They the the thing touches down and then it has this uh, purge of nitrogen that purges and spews up all the rocks into the container and then the craft itself then has a dust off where it just goes poof and it goes off the yeah and just and watching the landing of that. It, if you're ever bored, go on NASA's YouTube channel. There's always mm-hmm. something awesome happening and just watching the watching that come down and watching how they collect it and do it's just it's. Maybe not to everybody, but to me, it was wild as hell. I thought it was yeah. I thought it was just awesome.
0: Yeah, I, um, man. I the the James Webb Telescope, specifically about space, and uh, and different things that they've been able to pull off. The James Webb Telescope is really interesting, and it's they accidentally found a um a starless galaxy. However, that works, and it apparently is like. Uh, uh, like a congealed mess of stuff that is slated to become stars. Um, but it looked crazy. It was like, it was like a piece of like opal. It was weird, like translucent fog that was like in this huge region. And they zoomed in on, it was pretty cool that every now and then whatever they capture with the James Webb, yep, that's it. Um, it's, it's just quite crazy. I the whatever it is that we live in is crazy don't know what it is but it's crazy
4: (laughs) you live in a drop of water (laughs) and somebody else's universe yeah i mean you got
1: all this stuff going on just cool and terrible all at once.
0: there was this um speaking of just like odd reality check um there is this book called Exhalation by... Anyway, it's called Exhalation. And it's basically this uh, uh, book about these creatures that are kind of like in their Renaissance era. And um, the speaker... Oh, man, I, it's almost like I can't... It blew... M...
1: Ted Chang.
0: Yeah, Ted Chiang. Uh, Exhalation, Ted Chang. Anyone listening, I highly recommend that. It's a short, short read. It's like, uh, less than two hours. It's a short story. But man, that blew my socks off.
1: Wild. Wow. Yeah. If you listen to the audio version, it was wild. Like,
2: I thought it was having
1: a fever, but it was, it was really cool. It
2: was like beautiful.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I, uh, the, uh, Space is fun. We should have just a, a space episode.
3: Oh, that I can talk. On. Yep, I can talk space and its virtues all day long. Yeah. twice on Sunday. You got it.
2: You you kind of um, the ocean is kind of like space in a way.
1: Yes, very unexpl- yeah, absolutely
2: very unexplored and weird as fuck. <laughs> and like so much stuff is in there. Now we got shipwrecks and treasure. We got planes.
0: What creeps me out about spaces with, with with water there's like a barrier you know even if it's like takes forever you're there's gonna be a there's gonna be an end The the space thing not ending freaks me out
4: well the also the craziest thing and i don't know why this is so mind-blowing but the fact that you'll never you'll never even reach the end of space even if you could because the universe is expanding faster than the speed of light And if the speed of light is what we have determined in our minuscule little brains as being the intergalactic speed limit, like we're not going to be able to go faster than light, then you will never catch the end of the universe. Because even if you're going the speed of light, it's being outrun by the darkness. Yes, but you take that into
0: consideration, and then it's like, if it's expanding, what is it expanding into? Are we talking about energy, matter? All of that, and then uh, is is the thing? It's expanding into nothing, and is there even such thing as nothing? That's what's hard for me to wrap my head around. If there actually can be like a zero state of of absolute nothing, that's what's crazy. Because it seems like everything needs some kind of a m- matrix or like membrane to exist in. I don't know. That freaks me out. That the universe is expanding but what is if the universe is everything what is ex- expanding into
1: <laughs> good luck sleeping tonight i just want to <laughs>
2: also add that back to the ocean stuff that i did not know that it's james cameron who did the titanic movie right yeah yeah,
1: yeah. that he mm-hmm. went to
2: the bottom yeah, of the fucking like tre- like the mariana trench <laughs> like the deepest point what is it called again it's um
4: challenger deep challenger Deep, yeah Yeah. and i was
2: so angry when i found that out i was like why why was he down there but he's like what was he like the second person ever to go down there there was like the two scientists back in like the 60s i think
0: he's the i think he's the guy that went further it was the mariana's trench wasn't it
2: well it was the challenger deep that's in the mariana trench
0: okay okay i just remember all the memes that came out when he did it because because there was like this meme format on 4chan where It was like this hand-drawn diagram of a door that James Cameron found at the bottom of the trench.
2: (laughs) He did the Avatar movie, right?
0: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, the second one sucked.
2: I've not seen the second one. I don't remember the first one. I watched it when it came out, (laughs) but I just all the stuff about like missing, you know, shipwrecks, ocean stuff. The only reason why I found this out was like y'all, of course, remember the submarine that went missing? It it imploded last year Mm -hmm. Um, around the Titanic wreck. And when I found that, I was like, he hasn't, like, James Cameron hasn't, like, why does he have that much money, first of all, to have, like, all this stuff?
0: Yeah, and he also is the guy that said uh, one of our greatest modern challenges is the uh, too much testosterone. So try to figure that one out.
2: What the? What? Why would he say that?
0: I don't know. It It was in relation to his weird, like, Gaia life flow philosophy that he put in all his avatar or yeah avatar movies which is cool he just that was like a really offhanded comment that i d- found disgusting
2: why, why hasn't james cameron went and found the treasure of the golden fleet that's hey, my question
0: he could re- <laughs> he not, has... deep <laughs> He's not deep He's enough it's <laughs> not deep enough <laughs> he
2: has the tools he has the money
0: he saw that that uh that someone came to him and was like hey we got it it's not deep enough i'm sorry
2: because you know he went to the titanic (laughs) several times apparently which i didn't know
0: oh by the way is isn't the titanic like like really uh degrading right now isn't it like really falling apart down there
4: yeah it's not it doesn't have that many decades left before it's just a rust stain on the bottom of the floor I, I think I think you're the one that brought that up in a way. I don't even know how many episodes ago,
0: but uh, yeah, I, that was the first time I was like, "Oh, that has a time limit."
3: <laughs> I never really thought about it that way. Well, it's been down there for 112 years. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a long lifespan for iron. You know, it just it okay. is, kind of is kind of is what it is. I mean, yeah, in salt water too.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And wooden ships, like all these shipwrecks, like what is their, I mean, I guess they last longer maybe. Right.
4: Uh, It depends. It depends on how old they are. They, they really degrade pretty rapidly too. Um, Mm -hmm. If been around any kind of like swamp or any, like uh, there's a lot of like blackwater swamps and brownwater swamps where I live. And um, you know, wood under there gets extremely porous and soft. You know, a lot of these ships were made out of Oak. They're, Uh, Or depends on some of them are made out of like um, European pine and things like that. They're usually a conglomerate of different woods actually, because some of them need to be malleable and some of them need to be uh, stiffer, depending on what its purpose Mm -hmm. is on the boat. So um, some of that wood will degrade faster than others. Uh, You see a lot of like the live oaks and stuff like that are more water resistant because that's where they grow naturally, Um, but like some of the pines and stuff won't. Uh, a lot of a lot of these boats when you think about oh it's a shipwreck they're not noticeable as like a rounded ship anymore like they're they almost leave like an imprint like a like a footprint on the ocean floor where they've just kind of degraded and all the contents that were inside them like you can almost see where uh, if they haven't broke up when they sunk if it just sank like intact sometimes you can even see like the ballast stones like or they're left over almost still in line, like where it would hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. And just as the wood degraded, you see the ballast stones, you'd see whatever the contents of the hold were and things like that. And then a lot of times they're actually just covered in in silt and sand because um, just the weather patterns that you know is constantly moving under. So that's why they need metal detectors to find a lot of this stuff is because it's still covered under, you know, inches of sand sometimes.
2: I like how Florida was still on its bullshit with all the hurricanes back in mm-hmm. the seventeen hundreds and sixteen hundreds and all that because it is a nightmare down there with all those hurricanes. Like, uh, it's insane.
4: <laughs> they did. Um, I think there was an estimate that was since since Europeans landed, uh, like in the New World, they estimate that hurricanes have killed like I can't. It was a ridiculous number. Like it was like I don't want to say this wrong. I can't remember if they said it was fifty thousand or if it was like. I, it might be more than that, but it was—it was just insane to think that's how many sailors, like, just in these trips, like, mm-hmm. lost their lives, and and that's like up to today. And today, obviously, we know we have a lot better warning systems, and you're kind of—it's your own fault if you get killed by a hurricane at this point. Um, yeah, but when did yeah, they start just naming
2: the, hurricanes—they
4: didn't actually start doing that until well. So I don't want to like. Misjudge this because in the east where they have typhoons, um, they actually have been kind of giving them names since. I mean, gosh, I know the Japanese usually name their typhoons some kind of you know, they'll name them after something, um, all the way back to like shogunate eras and stuff like 1400s and you know, um, even before that because they were naming them even when, like, like I said, when Genghis Khan was actually around and, uh, so it was been like the 1200s when japan was invaded by the mongols or they tried to invade twice um they actually named those typhoons also so different cultures i guess have been doing it longer but i don't think we had a um like an actual naming system in place until the pretty much the 20th century here in america at least hmm
1: Usually they just called them like the great storm of whatever year before yeah. that. The, the, the yeah great storm of eighty nine.
3: But we uh, have the we have the Halloween blizzard of ninety one here where I'm at. So Oh Yeah.
1: Yep.
0: Is Hall- it
3: like super bad? Uh Halloween into the next two days. We got three feet of snow. Man. So that Man, one's get, still talking about got a whole
0: other deal up there with weather i like i i can't wrap my head around it i mean i've been to like the great lakes and and that re um that like dead winter and that re formed what i thought really cold was in my brain i remember the wind coming off and it was it was like razors cutting my hands it was insane cold I'm, i've never experienced that kind of cold uh So, yeah, here is pretty, even though we get some gnarly ice, it's that was that was I finally realized that uh, how cold cold can be like before that, like watching movies where people are completely bundled up and trying to survive in like a a inhospitable ice tundra or whatever is kind of hard for me to,
3: I don't know, wrap my head around that until then. Well, you truly haven't lived until you've gone camping when it's negative 30 outside. Then you lived. <laughs> it's, it's a, that's a whole different... It, it it goes from trying to stay comfortable to trying to stay alive. And it's a pain yeah. in the ass. It's a pain in the ass. And the, the first time I did it, my wife actually took me. And there was a point in the middle of the night where I was like, you know what? It's over. I'm done. I can't. I'm so cold. It does not matter. And... Turns out that wasn't the case. And she, being her little slight self, she brought me through, as our ladies always will do. They will save us. <laughs> um, but that was horrible. That was... But then, you know, at the same time, there's a place... So I'm in Minnesota. So there's a place off to my east and north a little bit uh, called the Apostle Islands. And every... I, usually it's been every five or six years, but it's been less frequent lately. These... um the waters of Lake Superior freeze, and you can actually walk across the ice and explore the Apostle Island ice caves when things are truly right. frozen. Um, I think that, I think Alice and I did it probably in 2014, and it was wild walking across a frozen Lake Superior and then like being able to bob in and out of these little crevices and go in and find these ice caves that are hundreds and hundreds of feet long. but you're walking on the frozen lake ice and then the, the the cave is the stone above you it was so so wild but it, but you know it's it's just a it's that thing that we i think we've talked about it before it's that part of just living and doing and exploring new things and sometimes you just got to be in the right place at the right time and uh, we've gotten pretty lucky here so we've had some and those ice caves were It's funny because they got to a point where they had so many people coming down that wanted to walk the ice that were ill prepared for it. People that showed up in their sweatpants and their Converse and like I'm going to go walk the ice, and it's like, no, you're not. I mean, and my wife and I had our backpacks, our water, our ice cleats, multiple layers, headlamps, everything, and people are looking at us like, what are you doing? Like, what, what is like? And it was like, hey, think what you want, but we're the people that are prepared for this. You know, so if something were to go wrong, guess what? Mm-hmm. We're not we're not going to die or have to be taken off the sure. ice in a helicopter. You know, yeah. we're the we're the ones that will just walk back and go, "Oh, I'm a little cold, but I'll live." You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, if you're if you're ever up here in the winter and the ice caves are open, do that because mm-hmm. it is absolutely mind blowing. There's nothing Hustle like Islands, it. Islands, Minnesota yep. ice caves. All right. Wisconsin. It's actually in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, okay. Yep, but it's on Lake Superior. There is a photographer slash author that he, I can't think of his name, but he sells a couple of different books that are his photography of the ice caves, both in the summer and the winter. And they're, oh, they're just beautiful. They're just beautiful. We actually, we encountered him on one of our trips. He was taking pictures of the ice caves from the inside. And these are normally
0: That's crazy looking.
3: Yeah, it's caves that are normally only accessible in the summer via kayak because yeah, there's no other way to get there. But in the winter, when you have a good year and the ice is thick enough, you can go out there and you can walk on it. It's just wild.
2: That, this is beautiful. I'm yeah, thinking. it is. That's so cool.
3: I'm
0: done.
2: I've, well, uh, I've been spelunking before, but it was like in like in um went through someone's property on like a farm in portland tennessee Um, (laughs) and it's just like a little cave like in a creek Um, it was it was a long cave it was like a mile. like this was a long time ago and um it was very it was cool because like it's always like 50 degrees in there or like 50 something degrees and it was just full of water like you had to walk through water most of it. it was like mud and there was like little like there was like a little side room off to like the left of the entrance of the cave and i went through it i went to that cave twice and the second time i actually went through that and like went into like i had to like crawl first through this hole and there was like a bunch of like albino spiders and crickets and stuff like that it was like it was i'm not an outdoor super outdoorsy person so that was a lot for me and I but i did it and i did it in converse which was a bad idea <laughs> i ruined my converse uh,
0: that reminds me How, um clark you probably have seen this movie uh it's either the cave or it's a different one. It's where a Spanish like uh explorers get lost in uh on one of their things and and some cavers in modern day go down and uh they evolve into basically albino bat people. uh It's a really but good the movie. the descent yes,
1: yes, yes,, yes.
0: okay there there was like uh, around that time a bunch of cave movies came out for whatever reason but uh yeah the descent and uh they found like some spanish artifacts and uh but their descendants were just like crazy bat people that were blind (laughs) it was a good movie though